Hey everybody, welcome back to Reading with Celebrities. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Tiffany. And today is our discussion on Night by Ellie Bietzel. Or Bietzel. Yeah. Um, this was a really short read. Um, I think about 150 pages. So yeah. This was a tough read. Very tough. There was a lot of horrifying things in it. I think I cried at least three times. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to know about because yeah. uh, well, I'll go over that later. But yeah, I do think it should be required reading for everybody. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I don't know about your copy. My copy included his Nobel Peace Prize speech. Yeah, I included that. It included um, the tribute by President Barack Obama. And it also had a, another speech, like, by his daughter. Well, he only had a son. So it might be his wife, Marion. Oh. No, it says Alicia Wiesel. Was that his son? No, his son is Shlomo. It might be his granddaughter. Maybe a granddaughter. Because it says my father told me a year ago, so that's why. Because it says my father's message. And sure. then I had, yeah, and then I had... His acceptance speech and then the Nobel lecture, which was hope to spare memory. So those were like the three things that were at the end. Mine had a, uh, a preface by him, a forward by his wife, mm -hmm. and then his speech at the end. Yeah. It was, yeah, so like the book itself is actually way less than 150 pages because that was a lot of it. it was these speeches and stuff. Oh, so Elisha is his son, but his son, his full name is Shlomo Elisha Fiesel. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Sorry, it sounded like a girl name. No, it's fine. Um, okay, well, as always, we have a bio, some notable works, and then a summary. And I think you'll find that because this is uh, kind of like a, a memoir, kind of, I saw it called like non-fictional fiction, um, that a lot of his bio falls in line with the summary. Um, okay, so Elie Wiesel was born September 30th, 1928 in Romania to Sarah Feig and Shlomo Wiesel. Uh, he had three sisters, Hilda and Beatrice, who were older, and Sephora, who was the youngest. His father encouraged his interest in literature and his mother encouraged his interest in his faith. When he was 15, his town was separated into two Jewish ghettos, and two months later, the German authorities began to clear them out, sending them to Auschwitz. He was separated from his mother and sisters, but was able to remain with his father once they arrived at the concentration camp, um, where he and his father were forced into labor, and eventually they transferred them to Buchenwald. On April 11th, 1945, the camp was liberated by the U.S. Army, and he was sent to an orphanage in France. Uh, his father, mother, and his sister, Sephora, all died after they were sent to Auschwitz. But he was eventually able to reunite with Hilda and Beatrice. They did survive the guest chambers. At 19, he became a journalist, and he also taught Hebrew. Uh, it wasn't until he became friends with Francois, Francois Mauriac, who was the 1952... Nobel Prize winner in literature 
um, that he began to write about his experience, his friend really encouraged him, like, this is this is a way, like a cathartic release for you. You should really write about it. People need to know what happened. His first memoir was written in Yiddish and was nearly 900 pages long. Um, and he eventually wrote the shortened version in French, which we know now as Night. In 1955, he moved to New York, where he would meet and marry his wife, Marion, in 1969. They had one son named, who was named Shlomo after his father, or Shlomo Elisha. Um, he and his wife became heavily involved in charity and activism and were very outspoken against all types of human rights violations. Uh, one example that stuck out to me when I was reading about him was that there was an international conference scheduled on the Holocaust, and he was pressured and eventually stepped down or resigned um, because he refused to remove any references or discussion involving the Armenian genocide. And really, the is really the Israeli folks who were part of this kind of said, no, we want this to focus on the Holocaust. And he was like, well, there's another genocide happening. We need to talk about it. Um, in 1986, he won the Nobel Peace Prize. And I have I tried to I tried to find one quote from that speech to read out. And I felt like the majority of it was very quote worthy. Um, but I have two here, which I can read at the end. Um, and he passed away on July 2nd, 2016 at his home in Manhattan. Uh, some notable works were, and the world remains silent, which was his first memoir in Yiddish uh, night, which has since been translated in more than 30 languages. And then, uh, this is known as the the Night Trilogy. So he wrote Night about his time in the concentration camps. And then he wrote Dawn and Day, which are spent his life kind of after that happened. So I, I mean, I got most of this, not most of it. Um, Wikipedia, you can go on the Nobel Prize website, nobelprize.org, and they've got bios on him. Uh, the Britannica, I think it's, Dot com it might be dot org they had the, um, a bio on him so you just I mean he was very very well known and so you can Google and find most of them so yeah okay. yeah I mean most of his bio now is going to be in this book yeah or I, I guess it was a year of his life but yeah mm -hmm. that's a majority of Something that happened to him. Yes. Um, okay. Are you ready for to begin the summary? Yeah. All right. Um, so it starts in 1941, and and pronounced Sighet. <laughs> like I don't. But um. So the Hungarian government sort of came in and said to the Jewish population there, if you can't prove your citizenship, you're shipping out. So they um, rounded up all the foreign Jews and put them into a cattle train and they were taken to Poland where they were handed off to the Gestapo and executed. Um, that is sort of the first kind of horrific thing that happens because Moshe, who was the caretaker of the House of Prayer, is able to escape and come back and he's warning everybody there of the horrors that he had seen. He's like, you know, basically they just started shooting indiscriminately. They were using children and babies as target practice, like, and nobody really believed him. They were like, no, yeah. the Soviets are coming. We're going to be fine. You're yeah, crazy. He, 
yeah, he, he said that they had to dig their own graves and then they um, were executed in their own graves and he actually survived it but pretended to be dead until he could escape from them. And yeah, when he came back, um, nobody really believed him. They just thought he was some crazy guy. Yeah, they, um, you know, I, I think they held out a lot of hope of, no, we know that we know the Soviets are coming. We know we're going to be fine. Like, that didn't that didn't really happen. You went crazy from traveling on that train because they like packed them full of like 80 people per per cart, basically. Um, and so then kind of jumps forward in time in between March and May of 1944. The town was split into two ghettos and community le- community leaders uh, were arrested and they were, you know, what is, you know, commonly known. They were forced to wear the yellow star of David. They had their valuables confiscated and a curfew was enforced. Um, shortly after that, they were informed that the ghettos were being liquidated and everybody would be deported. And it's very interesting because a lot of times we hear like, oh, you know, this was the Germans doing this, this was the Germans doing it, but the Hungarian government was equally complicit. And Ellie makes a point of saying, when I saw these Hungarian police walk by, like, that was the start of my hatred towards these people. Um, and once they were being deported, they were to be sent to Auschwitz. On the train right there, there was a woman who begins screaming that she can see flames in the distance, but nobody else can. Um, and she is hysterical and she's beaten by others until she is basically subdued and quiets down. Is there anything else you want to add to that? Um, no, yeah, just, yeah, with that woman on the train, like, like you said, nobody believes her, um, her son, she's with her son and her son's trying to, like, get her to quiet down, um, but, yeah, and she does, and they think it's all good, and I think at one point she starts yelling it again as they're moving, um, but yeah. Yeah, and she kind of starts yelling it once they arrive, and then they actually see... Yeah, the flames. Like, the flames and the furnaces that are being used up to dispose of bodies. Um, so they arrive at Auschwitz, and upon arrival, the men and the women are separated, and and Ellie remarks that this is the last time he would ever see his mother and youngest sister. He and his father are selected to join the ranks of forced labor, and Ellie vows to never leave his father. And as they work together, basically Ellie kind of docu- like, talk, documents about how he's just watching his father slowly die and decline. And he loses his faith in God and humanity. Uh, he talks about kind of cur- cursing God, like, why would we, why would we, keep our our trust in something yeah. that is is allowing this to happen to us yeah he said like it was hard for him to believe in god because god would not allow something like this to ever happen to anybody um i think like one of the roughest parts for me was like this relationship with his dad because i think i read like the summary beforehand so i knew like the fate of his dad and at every point i was like I thought we were to that point and I was never ready for it. Like I could feel my heart rate. I could feel like my eyes getting teary. Like Mm -hmm. I just was like, this is it. Like there's one scene that I like, I almost lost it. Like it was, yeah, that was, that was really rough. And it's just even like the, we, well, it'll be part of our discussion at the end. (laughs) Um, 
so then from Auschwitz, they are moved to uh, Buna, or I think what's called Witzwald, uh, Witzwald in German, another concentration camp. Um, that's August of 1944, and Ellie, his father, and others are transferred there. It is during their time here that Allied forces bomb the camp, which kind of briefly reignites Ellie's faith because um, he thinks, oh, they're here. They know we're here. They're going to help us. Um, but still the actual like liberating armies are, you know, they're, they have to, they're slowly coming in because um, they're obviously fighting their way through. Um, however, during their time there, a child is hanged and everybody is forced to watch and march by and look this boy in the face as he slowly dies. A lot of times when people are hanged, you know, that downward force, it breaks their neck and that's what kills them. But the boy wasn't heavy enough and he slowly strangles to death. Um, Ellie later cannot bring himself to celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Um, kind of similar to what we talked about before. He's accusing God of abandoning his people and why would he celebrate and bless bless God when this is happening. He's allowing, you know, fathers and mothers and children to, to die in such a horrific way. After that, they're put on one of the death marches, and this is in 1945, uh, with the Soviets quickly approaching. The Germans order an evacuation, and um, they're put on, and then they're, they march over to another train to be sent to Buchenwald, um, some were given the choice to stay, and Ellie and his father were two of them because Ellie, his foot became infected and swollen, and so he had to go to the the infirmary, and it was drained, and the doctor there was like, you need two weeks to fully heal. You can stay here. Um, but he had the fear that those who were staying behind who were sick were going to be shot and killed. Um, how, so he and his father made the decision to move, However, later on, they found out that those who did stay were liberated by the Soviets three days later. Um, Ellie manages to save his father from being thrown out of the cart as others had mistaken him for being dead. And on, on the march, there was a, um, he had witnessed there was a rabbi and his son and the rabbi had started to fall behind and his son knew. But because so many, like they've just been stripped of their humanity and it became down to every man for himself. He saw his son run forward and Ellie had pledged, I'm never going to do that to my dad. Um, only 12 out of the 100 men that had been shoved into this cart survived the journey. And what was really wild to me was that in the beginning, when they were all placed into these, these train cars, they could only fit about 80 people. And now they're so like emaciated and starved yeah. that they were able to add 20 more people. Yeah. Um, they arrive in Buchenwald and they're told that everybody's going to get to be able to take a shower because it's cold out. Um, but while they're waiting, Ellie's father collapses in the snow and he's unable to get him back up. Shortly after that, they are all ordered back to their bunks and he can't get him up. So he has to leave his father there uh, in the morning. He leaves to go find them or go find him. And he does, but his father is very sick with dysentery, dysentery uh, and is attacked by two other prisoners because he's too sick to get up and go to the bathroom. Um, 
Ellie's there and he's kind of ten- doing his best to tend for him, you know, giving him water. He he refuses to eat, which is what he really needs to do, but he just is trying to keep comfort him as much as possible. Um, one night, but he's crying out for water. He's fatally struck in the head by an SS officer for being too loud. You want me to continue? Yes, please. Okay. Um, his last words were being a litzer. Uh, oh, sorry, that guilty. was like one of the worst parts. Yeah. L.A. feels guilty for ignoring his father's cries as he feared he too would be beaten and killed. And then three months later, and this was on January 28th of 1945. Um, three months later, the Soviets liberated Auschwitz and the Americans were making their way towards Buchenwald. And on April 11th, as the Germans attempted to begin another death march, a resistance within the camp began causing the Germans to flee, and the Americans arrived later that evening. And that's sort of, that's where the book ends. Yeah, that's when it, like, after that, that's when you, um, you have, like, the, um, the letter that his son wrote, and then, which was, like, a message from his father, and then you have his two, like, speeches from like his Nobel Peace Prize and then I, I think the other one it's not an award ceremony I think he's just there to um, as a speaking engagement because yeah, I think I it was just the next day um yeah this, this I do was, know that he 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 gave a speech and then he also wrote a speech and they're they're yeah. a little bit different yeah like one of them I think was like his acceptance speech for the Nobel yeah um Peace Prize uh Yeah, I think we all know the story of the Holocaust. But I think when you read a book like this, with this firsthand experience, and you're hearing these details, um, it's truly heartbreaking. And just some of the details, like on one of the marches, like when they were doing the march, like talking about how long they had to go and how many like kilometers they had traveled and then just seeing bodies collapsing in the snow and you just had to keep walking over them. You just had to keep walking. And every time they moved to another camp, you kept like with the weakness of his dad, like his dad was getting weaker. And I knew from the beginning that his dad wasn't going to make it. Um, But I think every time I was so happy that his dad survived um, yeah, it was, I was so heartbroken when I was like, it was literally just three months later. It was three months. It was so like close. Three months. Like I seriously was just so heartbroken. I think the scene that got me the most was when his dad really thought he wasn't going to make it. And he gave, he tried to give, um, him the spoon and the knife. Oh my God. I was, I, I was getting my nails done reading this <laughs> and I was like, girl, you're in public. You gotta, you gotta stop. Um, and I, I just like how he was like, I'm not taking it because you're going to need it too. We're going to see each other. Yeah. And they would do these like selections where if you were too weak, they were going to send you to um, go die. And every time he was so scared, his fa- father was going to be selected. And at one point he was, 
but he was able to like something happened where he was able to get his dad back to the right line instead of the left line um, yeah. so that they could continue to be together. And every time he just, he fought so hard to be with his father at all times. So it just, it was, I just hated that it was like three months later. Like I just, yeah. It's like um, when I read Anne Frank and then read that, like there was, just like her diary, I just got to the end and I was like, surely she's still here. And then they were like, no, it was something similar. Like, yeah, I think it was only like a week or something. Like she like died yeah. with like such a short amount of time. Or just when they were in the infirmary, like, oh my God, how close were they? Yeah. And then, like, and it's, we have the hindsight of being like, you need to listen to motion. Like you need to go. And then even they had the, um, it was it like her her their Polish maid or like their friend came up and was like I have a safe place for you you need to come with me mm-hmm. and they were like no we're gonna be fine and we have the hindsight of being like go like go yeah. with her go be you know yeah. yeah like how they wanted to pack their bags and leave and the dad was like we don't need to go like we'll yeah. be fine and I think that was the whole thing is like like you said like this if you have like in 1941 when this was like starting and they weren't even sent away till 1944. This was, um, I think he was 15 yeah, when he, he got he sent away and he was 16 when he came out of it. Um, and I think I was reading, I think it was the forward at the beginning um, that he didn't write this until he was 26, which was 10 years later. But the mm-hmm. fact that he was 26, like how young to even write this, um, but like how people rejected it because they didn't think people wanted to hear this. They it's did, like, yeah, they didn't. I don't think people want to come face to face with the horrors. Like they don't want to believe something like this could ever truly happen. And it was like what um, it, I think it was like before kind of before they were sent off or right after they were sent off. There was somebody saying like, this is the 20th century. It's not medieval times. Exactly. Like, how can this be happening? And yeah. it was similar to what people were saying right but after Russia and Ukraine, where it's like, this is the 21st century. This doesn't happen anymore. And it's, yeah, there's, you know, there's still evil, evil people out there. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that he was actually re- reunited with his other two sisters. So yes. I didn't know that. But I, did, I didn't know that until I was like reading his bio, like, you know, going through all yeah, of that and stuff. Because in the book, it's just his younger sister that goes off with his mom. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, that relationship with his dad, like, like freaking broke my heart. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, because I kept thinking, I was like, I'm pretty sure his dad dies. I'm pretty sure I read this at the beginning. But I was like, maybe he doesn't. Maybe I misread it. Maybe he comes out with him. And I was like, and then just to be like, when he said April, I was like, oh, my God, it was literally three months. It was it was so close. Uh-huh. God. not even three months either like less than three months and I just was uh I hated it so much um I think everybody needs to read this book yeah I would agree um, with that I checked the book out at the library but uh I think I'm gonna buy my own copy of it um and I think the to me, 
it's the best book that we've read for Oprah. A hundred percent. The best that we've read. You know, again, like I really liked what looks like crazy on an ordinary day. And this was, you know, every, every book I think has a reason for being read, but this one, um, And like, like I said, like, we all know the story. We learn about this story. But to hear it come from somebody that experienced it like this. And, and I think what's even crazier is like, it was only a year that he was there. Because um, this, I mean, this, la- this was a long war. They, and, I mean, it, it was like the in suffering. the 30s that it started. Yeah, and he... Like, the whole, like, I don't know, it just was, and to be 16 or 15, um, yeah, just to hear his struggles and his weakness and how on certain days he's like, all I cared about was, like, bread. I just wanted bread. Um, And, like, he said, like, at one point they went, like, six days and they hadn't had any food. And I think, I think about the, the mental state that your body that your mind has to be in to survive this because at some point your body can't do it. It's all your mind. It's like what he was talking about. I, on, um, during the March, he was like, I, I was two separate beings. I had my body and I had my spirit and yeah. I had to keep them separate to, to keep moving. Yeah. Cause your body's gonna, your body can't do it. It's, it's all mental at that point yeah. of this, of just to keep like, he, I think at one point you just said, I had my eyes closed while we were running. Mm-hmm. Like I just had my eyes closed. Um, yeah. I just, to be that strong and to survive this, um, was pretty remarkable. Um, when I was reading, uh, again, through, through his his background and stuff and they were talking about his original memoir the one that was almost 900 pages and the world remained silent he it's people saying who read it in the original yiddish talk about it's it's much angrier it's much more like like definitely when he wrote it as you said he was still like in his 20s he wasn't far out from it far removed from it happening but it's it's just like seeped in in hatred and anger and honestly rightfully so like oh. some sometimes it's you you have to funnel that somewhere and you can't like it's for, forgiveness is either off the table or you're nowhere near being there yet um and they were talking about when they when he wrote night and really pared it down and translated it into french it was much more sanitized a lot softer um in a way to help help promote the book for people to read it to know what happened to um you know i guess stay relevant and like i like i said he he and his wife became very outspoken about it and one of his one of his quotes from his speech acceptance was you we need like it was the very last line. It was, thank you, people of Norway, for declaring on this singular occasion that our survival has meaning. Yeah. I think, too, I think because what everything that he's done after 
all of this, like, I think one of the things that really stuck out is he's like, this isn't, this hasn't just happened to us. There's so many other countries that need our help and we have to stop being silent. He said, like, that was the problem is people were silent when they knew this was happening to Jewish people. Um, And he, like, he's helped so many other countries when they were going through something because he's like, we cannot be silent. And, um, and as much of a supporter of Israel he is or was, he still has come out and said, this violence isn't helping. Like, we need to find a, a peace with Palestine. Like, he he su- was a supporter of both in a sense. Like, yeah. you know, uh, he's like, there's a there's a there's a compromise here. We can figure it out. Yeah, he um, as angry as he deserves to be he still found a way to say that we can make this world a better place. And it's not just myself and Jewish people that need help. He was like, there are so many people that need help and we need to stop being silent just because it's not our country that's suffering through it. Mm -hmm. And another one of the quotes that really stuck out to me from his speech was, um, Basically, when human lives are in danger, when human dignity is in jeopardy, national borders and sensitivities become irrelevant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I just I don't understand how could you not know this was happening? There was I don't know if you've seen Band of Brothers. It's fantastic. Like, yeah, it, it should be watched as well. Um, but there's a there's a scene where they liberate a camp and they. um they bring some of the local town folk in you to be like, you're digging like the people who died here, you're digging their graves. Like you're going to be fixing this. And this woman was like, we didn't know. And one of the soldiers is like, how could you not know? How could you not smell the death and decay? How could you not hear their screams and their cries for help? Like he, and then, um, you know, my, uh, my dad was born in Germany. And so my, like my Oma and my great uncle, like they, grew up there during this time and my Oma has always been very like we didn't know we didn't know and my great uncle basically said the same thing like how could we not know we had Jewish friends we had Jewish neighbors and we woke up and they were gone like how could we not know that this was happening yeah I think another powerful scene in there is when he talks about getting off the train and he's like and you could smell the burning flesh yeah like this wasn't just a factory. He knew what was happening inside. Yeah. There's, I think, um, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I just, when the, like you said, like, how could you not know? I think, I think too, like you just, they just, people just turned a blind eye. Like it wasn't affecting them, not your family. Like, no, yeah, yeah, no. Like other countries too, like that didn't intervene. Cause how um, many of them were like, you know, oh, Hitler said he's not going to invade us. We're fine. Exactly. And then, boom, exactly. he's there. And, you know, this is, oh, that's that's going on in the other side of the world where it's yeah, not like us. It doesn't not, concern yeah, us. Exactly. Um, and I think that's what uh, Ellie Wiesel, like, was trying to get at is we can't just turn a blind eye to other countries just because it's not us. Like, we do yeah, need I mean, these countries. I mean, it's just, you. I can think of three off the top of my head. You've got... You know, obviously Ukraine, what's happening there. You've got the Uyghurs in China who are being persecuted and in their own camp, like being forced into their own camps. And then you've got um, in Middle East, it's like almost slavery is still legal, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's 
I don't know. I don't understand how people can hold that much hate and cruelty. Yeah. I think, like, it might have been the a message from my father that his son said, but he's like, I think the big thing was, like, when are we going to learn? Yeah. Like, that we can't just sit and let this happen. But, yeah. Another Another scene that really got me and it actually reminded me of a book I've seen a lot um on Instagram was the scene where they're in the cart and the violinist starts to play yeah um because I think there's there's another book and I want to say it's called like the redhead of Auschwitz but it's this girl wrote it about her grandmother's experience um Mm -hmm. and her grandma talks about like when they were when they were released and when they were liberated, she walked out and all she saw were like gorgeous, like, you know, green fields and wildflowers. Mm-hmm. And it's like you have so much death and despair happening on one step and then you just step outside and there's still all this beauty. Yeah. Um, also, the scene like years later when he's on the train mm-hmm. and he recognizes um, a lady. I think he recognized mm-hmm. her by her eyes. He's like, I could never... Yeah. Forget those eyes. Um, that was a pretty powerful scene too to see somebody. It was it was refreshing too to have the way she comforted him and like mm-hmm. you know kind of saying keep your head up because again it's they had basically like driven these people down to their basic instincts and that basic yeah. instinct is survival and you have to survive and yeah. Uh, you know, the, the Frenchman, like the Frenchman and the Polishman who beat his father because he was so sick, he couldn't go to the bathroom. It's like, you know, again, looking at it from my point of view, my very privileged point of view, it's like, you should be helping each other. Like you're in the same situation, but then, mm-hmm. you know, knowing very well that they were, they were, they were fighting for survival, like their life. Like, yeah, I think there is a scene where a son beats his dad for beats a piece his, of bread and yeah. the dad's like no I have a piece for you as well yeah. and he wanted both pieces like he yeah. beat his own father and I think that was like a real awakening for um Ellie as well to be like I never want to be like this yeah um, even he talks about like like oh, I could just leave my dad behind I could be free of this burden and then immediately feeling guilty for okay. it and feeling like like when he when he talks about you know that that vow I made to never be like that rabbi's son I've already broken it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now this was hmm. yeah by far the best book that we've read from Oprah, but also yeah. the most powerful, the most emotional. Um, yeah, it was it was a very tough read. Um, I'm grateful that it was short because I don't know if I could have taken um, a longer book with that much. I, I, for me, like the way it ended where he talks about staring back at himself in the mirror and seeing a corpse, like, yeah. and then it ends. And I was so just like, no, there needs to be something better. Like, yeah. I'm glad we read it. Oh, it was I... important to read. I am, I'm so glad that this is one of our books. Yeah. I knew, I think when we both 
got to the last three books of Oprah's book club, we, we both knew when we got to this book that it was going to be tough. It was going to be emotional. Um, but, um, I am very glad that it was one of our books. I agree. It was a five star for me. Absolutely. But yeah, I did not know that you and I were both going to get emotional. That's all right. It's all right. I did. I did the same thing with you. I read the, I read his bio first. And so obviously a lot of that. Yeah. What actually happens. And so I just. It was like, I looked at, it was like page 17 and I was already crying. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I think. The way he ended, they weren't really chapters, but the way they ended, you know what I'm talking about? Like, he'd mm-hmm. be like, like, he was there, like. There was like a break. Yeah. Yeah. And every, but the way he did it, you just knew it was about to get worse. Yeah. Like, the way he would end it, you're just like, here we go. Like, and I think, because I started it on Monday, and then um, I I had like a really busy, like, crazy week at work and so I didn't get to pick it back up until um Saturday so yeah yesterday and but where I left off is where I knew it was about to get like even worse and so like I think it was also me like just pushing it off and being like I don't want to read it um but yeah it was it was pretty powerful. Yeah, I checked this out of the library two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I read half last night and the other half this morning. Yeah. Because I, I knew. Yeah, it was, I know, I did the same. I think you and I got it around the same time from the library, because I think mine was, it was due on Friday, but it automatically renewed for me. Um, but yeah, I did the same thing. I just was like, like, I was... Like, even when I was, like, on vacation over the weekend, like, for Memorial Day, I was like, this is not a book I want to read while I'm enjoying um, my time off. Like, I just was like, I'm not in the mindset. And I think we both kept saying that every week when we would do check-ins, that we were just not in the mindset to want to read something like this. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, Again, very... Like as tough as it was for us to read, it I it was tougher for people to oh. experience. Oh, it's there's no comparison. There's yeah. not even yeah. And it's important to read because again, as as rough as it is, it's easier to ignore it and pretend like it didn't happen. And that's just again, I mean, you fall into the same trap of you, know, you don't see people as people. Yep. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I do think it, yeah, I think it should be a required reading. I think everybody should read this book. Yes. Um, yeah. Remember, it, it's frequently on a banned books list, and I think it's, it's like, I don't want to say it's an easy read, but it's, it's short and it's written very succinctly, you know, succinctly. But I think this is definitely 
upper high school. Yeah, you could definitely. Yeah, at least I would say at least high school. I want to say that in my middle school, the those who did read it, it was like eighth grade. Yeah, because I mean, eighth grade is like when we did like our eighth grade field trip to DC, and mm-hmm. I mean, we did go to the Holocaust which, Museum. Which so. Ellie and his and his wife were instrumental in creating that. Exactly, exactly. And I, so I mean, we definitely we did that in eighth grade. So I do think this is something that you could read. Yeah, at an eighth grade. Yeah. Um, I so think I, if, know- I think if the, you know, the idea of like, oh, I don't want to traumatize my kid. If, and same thing when they when they were talking about banning mouse, which is another great um, telling of the of the Holocaust and the horrors of like, oh, there's there's nudity in that. If that offends you more than what actually happened, you need to reevaluate your priorities. Yeah, um, I think um, a few weeks ago we did a check in where we did a BuzzFeed list that was like the most terrifying books we people had ever read and. Um, this book was on there, and then I think you mentioned it was on another list. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what that one was for? It was in this. It was in the similar vein of like books. It was um, powerful books that people could only read once. Yeah, um, I could see how this book made both of those lists. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't think we can um, reiterate enough that. Um, this is by far the best book that we've read from Oprah. It was a five star for both of us. Um, powerful, emotional, um, and truly horrifying. Yeah, sorry, I got one more scene that just popped into my head where they talk about how they were forced to house German soldiers while they were still living in the ghettos and how they were like, they're so polite. Like, you know, they're nothing like these monsters they've been made out to be. They're so polite. He bought me a box of chocolate. Yeah. And it, it, to me, it was almost worse where it was like, you're seeing, you're treating these people as human, you're seeing them as humans, and then you're, you're going to, in do. two weeks, take them and slaughter them? Yeah. Like, how how do you, how, how does somebody reconcile that within themselves? I don't know. Horrible. Um, yeah. Okay. Anything else? Yeah, I don't have anything. <sighs> Um, are again. I'm gonna encourage everyone to read it. I'm gonna encourage everybody to read about him and not only his accomplishments, um, but the you know the the goodness in the world. And I think more people need to model their attitudes towards injustices after his. Agreed. Okay. Um, well, I guess to the business side of things, um, our Instagram is reading with celebs. Our Twitter is reading W celebs. It's been pretty inactive. Um, I always forget we have Twitter. I know I'm pretty bad at it. Um, please go give us a like, follow, subscribe, review, and all of those fun things. Um, I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Um, and I hope it makes you want to pick up this book. And we will see you next week. Happy reading. Bye, guys. Bye.